Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there, Matt. Good to see you again. And may I say the fact you look uh, rather fit after that pickleball uh, workout there last week? It was actually good fun, as we talked about last week, when the podcast was going live to air. That's when I was playing pickleball, which I'd never heard of before, yes, but yes. we've now got outdoor... Do you play with gherkins or what do you play with? <laughs> Maybe they could work as well. But we've now got officially outdoor courts are open. I cut the ribbon on the outdoor courts. And pickleball would be something I would describe as a combination between tennis and ping pong. Right. right. So you play it the same basic rules of tennis, but you're using a hard bat. Yeah. And the ball is a plastic ball with holes in it so that it it doesn't matter how hard you hit it, it's not going to go that yeah, fast. Yeah, right, okay. It's really popular. Is it a smaller court? Or? Smaller court. It's about the same size as a badminton court. Yeah, okay. And the, the net itself is lower than a tennis net. And I think the original idea was it was designed by some people who were older and wanted to be able to play at an aged care facility maybe mm-hmm. or wanted to play with mm-hmm. their grandkids. And tennis now, especially with the size of the rackets, you just get blown oh, off the court yeah, yeah. Absolutely, tennis. Yeah. So you go out there with your grandchild and want to play and you're just watching the ball whiz past you. This one, you could have your grandchild hit the ball very hard and – the nature of the ball, it's not very aerodynamic. So Sounds it like a game that's right up my alley these days, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good fun. And we played doubles. We On the day, we just played right. doubles. So, again, it's something that works quite well from a doubles perspective yep. where it, it, you could play singles, but it seems to be more designed for doubles. So, what, Paramount Tennis Courts? Or whereabouts are they located at? Well, the, at the pickleball courts, of course. The pickleball <laughs> courts. So, whereabouts are the pickleball courts now? <laughs> it's the old tennis courts on Elston Park. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yep. on those ones there. The one so opposite the school there. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Yep, it used to be the, the, the school. So there's still the tennis court markings there, but they've also marked pickleball courts on right. some of the courts there. Greg King runs it, so Greg King yes. from Sports World. And I actually think he does a really good job in promoting social sports mm, in Dubbo. Mm. And I did say to him on the day that what I think he's done well is you've got some sports and some athletes that are going to go on and represent Dubbo or the state or the nation or yep, be Olympians. Yep. But there's also a huge need for the people like you and I that yes. probably aren't going to represent. I'm not ruling you out yet, but well, probably I don't aren't going to represent. Disabled the Olympics these days for me. I tell you, look at this arm of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make any comment on that. I'm sure I'll offend someone. That's right. <laughs> so the the social sports, I think that's really important. Indoor cricket. I played indoor cricket a long yep. time ago when I was growing up and, and in my early twenties. Again, great social sport. And so you've got these sports there. Of course, people can develop further and go on yeah. to various different sports at high levels. But you just want to be able to have people who have that social interaction, good for the community, good for visitors that come. Yeah, if I was yeah. moving to somewhere and wanted to get into a community, I'd I'd find a local Rotary Club and I'd find some sports that I could play just to meet people mm. and get involved with it. So mm. I think overall it's worthwhile having a go. Oh, look, I have to get out there myself and have a bit of a try, I yeah, think. So oh, well done. Yeah, good on you. All right, buddy. Look, let's jump straight in. So now during the week, I love this as an opening one because we've talked about this on a few occasions. University of Sydney, um, they've got their School of Rural Health that's situated here. And over the course of the last few years, they've slowly but surely been building, haven't they? To the point whereby they first start off with just the first year students and then they brought in the second year students. And now they're up to the third year students. Next year, they're going to have even the fourth-year students. So it looks as though during the week, you went across and, and had a bit of chat to them, uh, to these new students have come in, first, second, and third-year med students here in town. That's very exciting. So just to, to 
make sure I've got the right history there. We've had year three and four students for over 20 years now. Oh, has that been that long? But, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it, how right. quickly that time flies. They started their degree in the, in the under that model at the University of Sydney, and they did years one and two. Yep. And then when they got to year three, they could then apply to go to a regional location such as Dubbo. Right. So okay. that worked quite well. Yep. There were 16 yep. students in year three, 16 in year four, and that'll work quite well. But what you've just mentioned there, mm. the change has been you can do your entire degree now in Dubbo until so you start off at year one and they've now got 24 students in yeah. year one, two, three and four. We're up to year three, so the first three years now yep. and the year four students that are there are still the hangover from the old model. Right, okay, okay. Yep, so gotcha. by next year, you'll have 96 students there mm. who will have spent their entire Start time. Start in Dubbo and can finish up in Dubbo. That's right. How and a quick that? little shout out to Will Anderson because Will Anderson, a Dubbo local, yes, he went yes. to St. John's, you know he Will. Well, know Will very well, yes. And so he will be part of the first cohort that go through. He goes into year three this year. Oh, so when year one started, yep, yep. Will was one of the students in year one. Ah, oh, fantastic. He's going to make a great doctor too, by the way. Yeah, so a big yeah. shout out there. And he was a radiographer. Of course, Sydney University School of Royal Health mm. only, uh, maybe there's some exceptions, but generally post-grad student. So yeah. Will was a radiographer. He was already working in the industry. And the only reason, I've spoken to Will about this, the only reason he did med was because he could do it here. Mm. He wasn't mm. contemplating medicine. He wasn't contemplating going to Sydney or Newcastle or anywhere else to go and do med. But mm. it was here. And he went, well, I could do that. Mm. I, it would be convenient. I could still do some part-time work as a radiographer and I could do that. Found, sounds fantastic. So mm. that's the opportunity we've got. Are there situations now, uh, Matt, where we're seeing some of these kids who have been here, you sort of mentioned their 20 years that this has been going on for, the third and fourth. Uh, are we getting kids back into our community? Absolutely, yeah. Right, there, okay. are, there are so many examples. I keep meeting them all over the place yep. at different things that we do. And we'll talk about a registrar's event later in the program today. Yep. But I'll talk first of all about these students. So... Mm. We've got now years one, two, and three. I love to go along and welcome the year one students. And a part of that is I want to make them feel special. And I'm not saying that I'm a special person, but just the fact that the mayor of the city they're being educated in comes along and welcomes them. They don't get that in Sydney. They don't get no. that in most places. In fact, most of the students I speak with say, well, I've never been a councillor before, never been mm. a mayor before. So I want them to feel special. I want them to feel welcome. And I also want to talk to them a bit about Dubbo and I want them to get into the community. Yep. I make the offer to all Charles Street University students, all University of Sydney students, where I, when I say I, council, will pay for a sporting uniform. If they go and get involved in a sporting team, mm. I want that sporting team to be called Charles Street University or Sydney University, something that mm. makes it obvious as a university here because mm. I want people out in the community to be involved oh, in something absolutely. where they say – oh, you're a University of Sydney student. Tell me more about that. Yep. So that's an offer. And, and students typically each year will take me up on that offer. Well, I bet you any money the fact there'd be some people out there now would still have no idea the fact that we've got so many med students here in town, especially through University of Sydney. So as you say, one of the great ways that, that can change is through public profile. Correct. It, is there a, uh, just sort of slightly off topic in regards to it though, but is, is there like a, a social club type set up there that Sydney Uni runs? In the old days, we used to call it like the union groups uh, when we went through university that, that we can maybe sort of target into and sort of say, hey, listen, you know, we can support you guys to promote the sports and to get the kids involved in the sports and other activities here in town so we can get that more of a public profile out there? Yeah, they, they've certainly got a, a social club and they've got reps that they, I met the two reps for the year one students on the night just to talk about them and some of their ideas. Mm. So there's different things we can do. Talking about it like we are now is yes, fantastic as well. One. But one of the things I've said to the students from both universities over many years is 
I want people to be playing netball or touch footy or indoor cricket and they, they're looking at the uniform on the other side going, mm. oh, university, what are you doing here? And I want them to ask those questions, have those conversations or in the paper they read about someone winning the, mm. the premiership and it's a, a university team because mm. I want people to be aware of that. Yep. I think the students that we have here – Gone are the days, if you're in a Bathurst, for example, in the years gone by, you might have seen a, a egg pub crawl where mm. students are going on having gowns and they've got their egg yes. on a spoon or those sort of Guilty antics, charged, if you like. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at you. <laughs> but I think those antics, people mm. see the community, so they see Bathurst as a university place, Mitchell College of Advanced Education and then on to Telstra University, and they are familiar with that. Mm. We don't have as many students here, so people don't always immediately think of Dubbo as having university presence, but mm. we do. We've got very good university presence. So again, getting those out there. Now, back to the students mm. again, sorry. Yes. So year one students, yep. I talk to them a bit about Dubbo. I do a bit of Dubbo poetry for them because that's very important that they understand oh, how important of poetry course, is. Of given for you, I'm sure. <laughs> but also, what I like to do is just make sure that they know that they are welcome. And then I say, mm. I'll go around and talk to them because it's a, a social event. Mm. I just want to hear some of their stories. Now, some of the stories are great, but there's one that I got the other night, which was an absolute favourite of mine. Yeah. Normally I'll hear about people that have moved to Dubbo or they've found some sort of process where GWO is wearing great for them. Often because they've already done their undergrad degree, they've got maybe a partner, maybe even a child sometimes. Mm. But I met one the other night and he actually said, oh, look, I just want to, tell you about my story and right. what I've ended up with here. I said, sure, this is exactly what I want. He's moved from Victoria and he's brought his wife along. So that's not unique. Lots yep. of people do that. They bring along their partner. Yep. And he said, my wife's an osteopath and she tried to look for a, maybe a job in Dubbo, right. but found no osteopaths. So she started her own business. Yep. Almost immediately booked out. Is that right? So straight away, wow. we've now gained an extra business in Dubbo. Yep. Now, he also did his undergrad degree in nuclear medicine. So at the hospital, we've got this great oncology facility yes. at the hospital now. Yes. So he went and said, can I get some work? And they said, forget about your medical degree. Come work full time. <laughs> or no, I won't. So he's now working part time. So right. we've now got extra staff there. So that's added to what we've got in terms of our services. Wonderful. Now, they just happened to have a young child. Right. So then they thought, wow, my wife's going to be really busy and I'm going to be really busy. So mum and dad, his mum and dad, yep. do you want to move from Victoria and come to Dubbo, so now they're living here as well. So oh, on the, on the back right? of yeah. one student yep. at our medical facility, we've now got another new business. We've got five people living here in Dubbo. We've got someone that can help with nuclear medicine yes. at the oncology department, and his dad happens to be an engineer. He can work from kind of anywhere. Is that right? Travels around yeah. a bit, but also does a bit of work from home. So another potential wow. business or a bit of business knowledge yeah, yeah. that's here. Three professional people for the price of one, so to speak. Well, that's Five exactly all right. Five all up in you know, the adult world and the kids as well. Isn't that yeah, fantastic? Yeah. So they're the sort of things that you don't realise. They bought a house. They're the sort of things yeah. you realize, don't realise that come on the back of that. So you think 24 students, well, that's good. Yeah. But then you start to hear stories like that. So then if we move on a little bit further from that, mm. we do see some of those students definitely in different places 
and again, I'll talk a bit more about with the registrars, mm. but different places around the region, different people that are involved where they'll say, oh, yes, I went through this program eight years ago and now this is what I'm doing. Mm. And they're typically not always in Dubbo, mm. but certainly within the region yep. where they're... They're staying reasonably local. That's right. The other story that I loved was one person who said, actually, no, I'll tell that story in the registrar because that was more applicable to the registrar right, so okay. on that one. But, but yeah, so the students, welcome along to those students. Mm. Great to see them here. And I think the University of Sydney, those facilities up there are fantastic. Mm. We've been for a tour through them. We've talked about that before. Yes. But just to see the quality, the standard they've got there, that's fantastic as well. Mm. So it's a, it's a really important It's a wonderful thing. I'm just loving landscape. the fact that, that more and more of them are coming here to Dubbo to experience what we have to offer as well. Now, speaking of registrars, and this is your opportunity to tell your story now in regards to the registrar, um, you went along to the GP registrar night. We had 24 registrars from Dubbo and the region attended. And, of course, I'd be thinking here that one of the big things about you being in attendance would be to try to encourage them to stay in Dubbo. Um, now, these guys, registrars, so they finished all their, or the vast majority of their academic training. They're now like a placement training as a registrar within the hospital system. Is that just within Dubbo or is that sort of region as well? So I'm not an expert on the, the full educational process, but my understanding generally is that they've done their four-year medical degree. They're not all University of Sydney students, obviously, but mm. they've done their four-year equivalent medical degree. Then they would go out and do some internships. So they'd, they'd basically get more hands-on, more practical after their more focused, book-focused mm. education. And then... The specialties out there, one of the specialties you can do is become a GP because that is a specialty in its own right. See, I didn't realise that. So it is, has that always been the case? No, no, it hasn't. That's something that has changed. I don't know when, but certainly right. it's something now that you can become a, a GP specialist. And when you think about it, yeah. it is fairly specialised because you, you've got to know a lot about everything. Specialists yeah. can say, I know something about this particular thing only, but mm. a GP has to be able to be across everything and know the right places to go to, to find yeah. that information. So typically what they'll have with the GP registrars is people that are going down that path will go and spend six months with a GP in their medical practice. And I know I've been in the doctor sometimes and they mm. say, oh, we've got a, a, a mm. trainee or a registrar here yes. with us. Yeah, do you do mind that. if they stay in on the consult? Yeah, mm. sure thing. The only way they're going to learn is to yep. actually have those experiences. So the 24 of those, some of those, probably less than a half, maybe a third of those were Dubbo-based and then the rest were the region. So it might have been Wellington or Orange or Bathurst okay. or Broken Hill or Walgut, so around the area, yep. and they all came to a night. And that night was a couple of things. Again, they've only just come out here recently. The chance for me again to say, welcome. Mm. The mayor is saying, we love you. Please stay in mm. the region. Absolutely. There That's it is. right. I gave them all an I love Dubbo cups. They just remind oh, themselves nice. as they're sitting in their It'll surgery. It'll take pride place. Don't worry. <laughs> That's right. Especially when they go back to a place like Orange and Bathurst. <laughs> And, right. and then they also had a, a process where essentially there were eight people that were relevant to their profession sitting mm. around the room. So they kind of did a bit of a, a speed networking where there would be three of them go and sit down with one person, find a bit about that, and then they'd move on around the room. So okay. a good chance for them to speed learn more Speed dating in a GP way. Yeah, it yeah, it was a bit like that. But one of the stories I heard on that particular night, mm. well, well, and again, some of those registrars have been through regional training here in okay. Dubbo, yeah. and some of the people doing the actual training for them have been through here, right. so oh, there's good. no doubt about yep. it. Yep. You're seeing these people, even on the, the night, just one of the, the GPs that's based at the, sorry, not GPs, one of the doctors based at the hospital, mm. uh, he went through and did his training here so in So as a registrar, then they're choosing to come to this space, is that right, as opposed to being told you've got to come here? Well, the, the students are choosing to come here when yeah, they come yeah. here, and the registrars 
I don't know if they choose specifically Dubbo, but they would probably choose the region. There's probably yep. a group, the, there'd be some group, I just don't mm. know who it would be, but there'd be some group that say, right, you want to go to this area, here you go. And they probably move around a little bit. They might come to a Dubbo one for a little while and then maybe mm. they go to one of the other areas. Again, I'm not an expert on that. Mm. My job was to sell Dubbo on the night. Absolutely. <laughs> but in that process, a couple of conversations I had I, I thought were incredible. One was from a person that had really set their mind on becoming a surgeon. That was where mm. their focus was. I want to be a surgeon. And they talked a little bit about GP and they thought, well, I'll have a little bit of a look at that, but I, I really want to – my career path is surgery. Mm. And then when they found a bit more about it, then they came to a regional area, they went, well, wow, this is actually pretty nice in a regional area right. and I can still make money, I can still be important in what I do, I can yep. still really help people – Maybe surgery is not for me. Maybe mm. being a GP and being a regional location. So some light bulbs went on. The other one, it wasn't from this one. It was from a previous right. one. Was the the guy that said to me that he finally had a light bulb go off in terms of his commute time, mm. where he was working in Sydney. He was spending about forty hours a month commuting, mm. and not hard to do that, as you can imagine. Absolutely. ten hours a week. Yeah, yeah. That's really Very two hours a day. Very yeah. easy in Sydney. And he said, "I've realised since I've been out here, and he hadn't been out here for long." My commute time is near enough to nothing. Mm. So I get a whole week back to myself rather every than being month, in the car. Every yeah. month I've got a week back yeah. to myself. Wow, yeah. Yeah. how incredible is that? Yep. For a doctor in particular, that's enormous. You know? Well, and the thing that I was thinking to myself was people out here in regional areas, we understand that. Mm. It's taken you a while to catch on, but I'm glad <laughs> you finally right. caught on. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that should be our main motto sort of thing. You know, you get, get a week back every month. That's yeah, it. time to yeah. smile. So I think the important part about that is they know they're welcome. Mm. We roll out the, the welcome mat. Now, this is a really interesting part that we as council, we can't make GPs. We can't make doctors come out here. And some people say, we need more doctors here. There's, there's no part of the process that we play in their education or their placement that makes them come to Dubbo. Mm. But little things, subtle things, things that make them feel a bit different, they're going to be able to do a similar job and earn similar money wherever they go. But if they go, well, that Dubbo place, GL's made it feel welcome there. Mm. We had a, a night, we had that function, and they put that on for us, and they made us feel welcome, and they talked about it. We have someone from the Sports Council mm. come along, and they talk about the different sports they can get involved with. Again, we want them to be mm. involved in the community, basically work out ways that they can feel like they're a part of the community. When their six months is up, oh, I don't want to go. Is there any way I can stay here? What yeah, can I do yeah, to stay here? Yeah. So all these things, or I've got to go on and continue my training, but I know what I'm going to do when I finish mm. that. I'm coming straight back to Dubbo. It's the little things, isn't it? Yeah, It's, it's the right. little things that make the big differences for people. You know, uh, having just trekked around a bit of the state myself and sort of come back this week, uh, the certain place I'd go to where I felt a really wonderful vibe, a lot of it was to do with people making you feel welcome in that area. Mm. And it does. It leaves you with that wonderful sense of, oh, I could go back there for sure. Yeah. So I can see that little moments like this for a GP or a registrar coming in, we can make them feel welcome. Please stay as long as you want. That's right. And I think our whole community plays a part in that. Absolutely. I think we do have our, our arms wide open to welcome people mm. that come from wherever they come from. Mm. But it's just it's one of those nice things where you feel like you can make a difference in a very subtle way. That's oh, great. Now, we touched on this game back uh, oh, probably around about maybe five or six weeks ago in regards to uh, state government funding here, in regards to what's happening here, of course, in the res. Um, now, there's a workshop run by Energy Co. during the week, which you've attended here, Matt, um, the, to discuss 
looking at here, some of the money that, and we're talking serious money here, we're talking about $128 million over the course of a few years from the state government. And it looks as though probably the point of this meeting was to discuss how best to spend this money and ideas maybe being put forward in regards to what's the best way to spend this money. Am I on the right track with that? Sounds like a fun meeting, doesn't it? I'll tell you what, if someone said to me, how do you want to spend $128 million? I'd give you a few ideas. That's right. <laughs> Wouldn't take long. So the interesting part is that Energy Co, who are building new transmission lines, mm. once they're up and running, when the various proponents of these renewable projects start plugging into those transmission lines – they will have to pay a small amount to the state government, Energy Co being a state government-owned facility. Now, of that money, some lesser amount will be able to come into the communities to be used for ongoing projects. So that all sounds good. It was noted by Penny Sharp, who's the relevant minister, and Mm. and certainly I've had conversations with Penny around exactly this, that there needs to be some action happening now because the community is saying, well, all these things are happening – they're having an impact now, but we're not getting mm. any benefits from it now. Mm. So they've effectively brought this money forward. Let's say it's four years before Energy Co. have their transmission lines up and running. Well, we don't want to wait four years for that money to start flowing. So this is a down payment. Mm. That $128 million over four years is a down payment to say, here's money that will flow more or less immediately, maybe yep. not immediately, within a few months. And then when money does start to flow, it'll have to be paid back by that money that flows. Mm. So that all sounds good. That $128 million will be shared amongst the three councils, yep. Midwestern Regional Council, Warren Bungleshire Council, and Dubbo Regional Council. So we're talking here about, what, $10, 15000000 million a year? Or what sort of money are we talking about? Well, divide the 128 by four to give mm. you the four years. That would give you about $32, $32. million. Yep. And then divide that by three for the three different areas. But I think what will happen is, and I don't know this for certain, but I think there'll be a bit more at the front end. Okay. So maybe the three councils will get maybe... 12, 14 million dollars a year for the first couple of years, and then it might drop off after that. Mm. But I don't have any data to say that. All I know is 128 million dollars has been well, allocated. Based then on that, does this meeting, uh, does council have much autonomy in regards to how they want to spend that money, or, or is it sort of a directive sort of come through from state government regards to maybe these areas you could spend it in? Well, this is the reason for the workshop mm. was to put some guidelines in place from Energy Co, from the state government, mm. to say here's how the money we spent. And it won't all be council money. So there'll be different allocations there. Like community money, is it? Community is money. It? So there'll okay. be some parts of those allocations that a community group could apply for. There'll mm. be some parts that council could apply for. There'll be some parts that might be a large project could apply for to, to make a difference there. Right. Would, would that be directed though by council or would that be uh, distributed, should I say, by a state government? By Energy Co. Okay. Yeah. So we right. will be hoping to catch some of that money at the yep. end of it, but we won't be part of the decision-making process. So sorry to interrupt you again, but if, right. I, if I'm a community group and and potentially, I don't know, just I'm throwing a figure out here, folks. This is, <laughs> this is just my figures being thrown out. Let, let's say for argument's sake, I don't know, they turn and say, look, there's $2 million up for grabs for community groups. That's me. <laughs> there's no sort of facts or figures to justify support that. But let's just say for argument's sake, $2 million up for community grants. If I'm a community group and once these guidelines sort of set in place, obviously is what this meeting's all about, to start to set a few of these guidelines, then I could maybe then apply for a grant to Energy Co through the, the, the state government to get some money from these community grants. Is that right? Absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. And we don't know, exactly you said, we don't know the numbers, no, we don't know no. the process or the rest of it. Part of the workshop was to put these ideas forward. Mm. Now, there's a whole range of different people at this workshop, and it's not the only workshop they're holding. One of my views, one of my visions for this type of money that's being rolled out is that I believe we should be doing projects that make a long-term economic difference Mm. to the community rather than just 
what I would call the soccer shirts fund. Yeah, yeah. And so a community group, a soccer club, for example, yep. not picking on soccer here, but a soccer club could say when those guidelines come out, if the guidelines match this, they could say we'd like $500 to pay for the soccer shirts because that'll save the mums and dads $500. Now, here's where, and this might be that popular comment, but that would be great for the mums and dads who get that free soccer shirt. But I don't think that's going to make a long-term economic difference to that community. What can you do to make a long-term economic difference? Can you do projects that make a difference big picture rather than just some soccer shirts? So, for example... This this is a a once-in-a-generation, probably beyond opportunity here. We we don't want to blow this. And I'm 100% behind you, Matt. I think if you're going to spend that money, the money comes through. Because this this may not happen again. You know, this is the way it's going to sort of roll for maybe the next three or four years coming through in this area. And then we'll get the money coming through from the, you know, the different sort of groups. Yeah. But something like this, a substantial figure like this, as you say, think big picture here, guys, not just small picture. Yeah, and that's a challenge. So you start to think about what can you do that can drive the economy. And mm. again, we've talked about the React Centre. That's the yep. type of thing I'm talking about where we build something that has visitation, has employees, has training. So when the res is finished being built mm. and this money that flows from Energy Co, it's all finished, there's still a mm. legacy that's generating income. In 40 mm. years' time, people yeah. say, wow, yeah. didn't those last group 40 years ago, didn't they have their head switched on? Because this is still generating money for our And economy. something like that, you can bank on their, say, Squadron Energy, who was keen to sort of want to uh, sort of be involved in those type of ideas as well. So you've got other groups out there wanting to link into this. Yeah, that's so right. linking these ideas together could be the way to go. Correct. So, for example, if a small community group came and said, we'd like to stick a bit of new paint on our local hall, mm. then you'd say, oh, gee, is there something you can do with that? But then you might say... How about if, you build a new hall? Well, if we fix up the hall and then we can run seminars here that relate to yeah, yeah. something that's happening around the area and generate some income ongoing, you say, okay, well, yep. that makes more sense yep. rather than just making the hall look yep. a bit better. There are thousands of examples out there and those type of mm. things. And the, the problem you have is you need to get thinking big picture, mm. but you also get local parochialism where people say, oh, in my little community, a new coat of paint on the local hall would be lovely or an air conditioner on the local hall would be lovely. And it would be lovely, mm. but does that really make a big difference? One of the things we talked about was maybe, and again, this is a, a, an open-ended discussion around the different guidelines, maybe it would be better to put a minimum spend mm. on the application. Mm. So when a community group comes and says, oh, I can have a couple hundred dollars for shirts, you say, no, it's not a big enough difference there. Mm. The minimum you've got to come and apply to, and again, I'm making up numbers here, yep. you've got to have a project where you need at least $5,000 yep. to make it happen. Otherwise, it's just little amounts that get frittered away yes. rather than a big amount. Now, and again, there'll be opportunities for those sort of things down the track as well. We're already seeing that, aren't we, with what's happening, the Bedangra money there for Wellington and stuff like that. You know, so, so there's already those type of things out there for some community groups. What you're talking about here, Matt, again, is, is bigger picture stuff. Yeah, and one of the things that I think that you could do, you could paint a picture to say, if we can get some bigger projects happening and make a big difference long-term to the economy, then those little amounts that you would still love for soccer mm. shows, don't get me wrong, those businesses that start generating money in the back of it, mm. they could then sponsor the local soccer team yep. and pay for the soccer shirts rather than use this money. So if we can get this money used correctly, mm. then fantastic. Now, competing against all of that is, as I say, every individual who says, well, in my small community, we really would love this little project done to fix up that thing that has always been annoying us. And so you're competing that versus looking at the big picture. Mm. And look, people generally are focused on their own little patch of dirt. And I completely understand that. I get that. Mm. So this is where Energy Co 
are probably trying to get it right. Mm. And some people have said to me, well, you can do both, can't you? Well, you can, but every time you give away the soccer shirts, that's a little bit less you can give to a big project mm. that can mm. make a big difference. Yeah. These are all the challenges that the government's got oh, in front of them. It sounds like you've got a big challenge there in regards to, uh, yeah, especially country communities, any community base, uh, when you do have, you say, those competing interests in the situation. I suppose, that too, I like the idea then that this is why maybe being led by the State Government Group of Energy Co. takes a bit of pressure off local council groups to have to sort of be then the governing authority base of how the distribution of that money, because then you've got to go through a state base rather than a local base. And so it can maybe take away a little bit of that inner fighting, bickering towards you know local needs. Well, one of the things that's interesting in that, I think, is that council will be applying for some of these funds, mm. the same as other yeah, groups. Absolutely. And some people, we were doing workshops sitting around different tables. Some people sitting around one of the tables I spoke with said, oh, look, we don't think council should get some of this money. We'd rather go all to community groups. But I think, and I'm maybe being a little bit biased here, but I think the advantage of going from a council perspective is that hopefully councils are looking at those bigger pictures mm. and they're not being involved in a small community group and yep. not focus yep. on that small community group need. If you've got your councillors and when these things come through we'll have 11 councillors at the time yes. hopefully you've got enough spread of those councillors saying we need to think about the big picture so that not just one mm. small area or small group gets looked after so mm. these, are, these are all the challenges but I often joke about it, and when someone wins a thousand dollars on a scratchy, yeah. I reckon they immediately spend about five thousand of that thousand dollars they mm, win, mm. and it's a little bit the same as that. This hundred and twenty-eight million dollars, I think, if you looked at what would be spent on that now, I reckon people have spent six hundred million of that one twenty-eight yeah. million. <laughs> oh, I see. This is a wonderful thing. It can't be anything but positive, to be honest. Yeah. When you're sitting here working out ways to spend money, that's always good fun. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the other thing that's a challenge, and I I have commented to. Energy Co., there's a community reference group that I sit on as well. And I have commented on this particular part of it that sometimes they'll do some surveys in the community. So they'll put out a link on a website and they'll say, hey, fill in this survey and tell us what you think. Mm. And then they start to base some of their information and decisions on that. And I've pointed out to them on several occasions that a self-selected survey does not give you statistically valid results. Mm. The only way you get some sort of validity in your results is by doing a random selection by the survey mm. company. Mm. And then you can get, so for example, when we do our community needs survey at council, we only need about 500 surveys out of our population of 56,720 to get a very high level of confidence in those results. But a self-selected survey mm. gives you very low results. Mm. Now, one of the things they put up it's on like the... It's like randomization sort of thing, is it? That well, when you're... When, when, I'm the survey company and I pick out 500 people randomly to yes. survey, then I'm getting enough randomization. groups and, yeah, all rather that. select groups. Exactly That's right. That. I'm getting all the yeah. different randomization that I need to get a, a very good snapshot of what the community thinks. But when it's self-selected, you typically get people at the extremes that mm. will want to go and put their opinion forward. So one of the problems that I had with the workshop, and I did say this to Energy Co., was they put up a list and they say, here is a list of other ideas we've had of things that this money could be spent on. But that was flawed because that list was created by a self-selected survey. Mm. And then they've put that list forward to a workshop to say, tell us what you think. Now, mm. the problem I had with that list in particular was some of the things on that list were things like better health facilities. Well, I don't want any of this $120 million no. to be spent on that. I want the no. health department That's right. That's a state government or a federal government, depending which way you want to look at it, to sort out. Absolutely. I want them to spend the money on that. Then they yeah. had things like better access to GPs. Well, again, I don't mm. want this money spent on that. Mm. Or fix up roads. Now, roads is an interesting one. Roads will be fixed up, the ones that are directly impacted from these various projects. So they will be fixed up. Yep. But I don't want random roads because, again, 
show me how that improves the economy. If you can, mm. fine, but I don't want just random roads being fixed up. So you've got to make sure that when you sit back and spend this money, yep. you're not taking the burden off the state government from another department. We still want that other that's government right. department yeah, yeah. to be spending yeah. the money they Don't should be spending. Don't let them off the hook. Don't let them one. off the hook. That's, that's, that's a good point, yes. <laughs> so interesting process there. And I think the important part is just having those discussions in mm. the first place. Now, speaking about discussions, um, it appears as though the state government uh, have made a decision in regards to well, a number of years ago, we, we merged with Wellington Council um, to become, of course, the Dubbo Regional Council, uh, including Wellington. But it looks as though there's a potential here for a demerger um, with state government approval on this. Is Are we looking at demerging after all of those years and angst and controversy and money spent and God knows what else to, to get to the point we are now. And it's, from what I could gather, seems to be working quite well. Um, are we looking at demerging? Are we going to run with what the state governments may be asking people to do or maybe inviting them to do? I certainly have no intention. There's no official policy from council to try and break apart Dubbo and Wellington, demerge. Mm. The process here was all driven by just some legislation going through state government about the potential because some council areas are saying we definitely want to demerge, we mm. want to de-amalgamate. Because I mean, some didn't really work and, and, and there's, there's been controversy, hasn't there, within some mergers. That's right. And and I certainly, I'm on the record, I fought it hard against it back when it was Dubbo City Council mm. and I was the Mayor of Dubbo City Council and in May 2016 and the amalgamation happened, I wasn't happy about that. But we've now got our cards, we've been dealt the cards, deal with it, it's now Eight years later. It's been eight years. Eight yes, years. Right, so okay. May 2016 yep. was the amalgamation time. Mm-hmm. So it's been eight years or almost eight years later. Mm. So we just deal with it. We're moving on. Now, a couple of things here. If there was a mood to demerge, it would need to come from the community. So if the community, mm. if there was a strong move from the community in both Wellington and Dubbo mm. to say, let's demerge, then councillors, myself mm. included, would say, okay, if that's what the community wants, we'll take that forward. Can I just say, just put it out there, that would have been nice at the time when they decide on the whole merging process rather than making a directive from state government. And mm. I'm not saying here I'm against what happened, but I'm simply saying the fact would have been nice to engage community at the time. So at least that's something they've learned from this process, that if something is to be changed, it needs to come from a community-driven base. Well, correct, and it's a different flavour of government too that that's did true. the amalgamation to the one that's Absolutely. now talking about that. Yes, But the problem is... The state government has essentially said, and I'm paraphrasing here, the demerge process would be generally supported by the state government with a whole range of conditions there. Mm. But the clincher is that if you wanted to do it, then the state government's not going to provide any funds to do it. Oh. Now, of course, they provided funds to help councils Absolutely. It's about $10 million, I think, off the top of my head. It, it varied depending yeah. on the size, a whole range of variables. But yeah, there was significant so funds available. So if they wanted, if, for argument's sake... And again, this is not a gospel situation, but for argument's sake, let's say the community decided that they wanted to demerge. That would mean that the council of both Wellington and Dubbo would have to turn around and finance the entire demerging process themselves. And it would be a fairly expensive process to unscramble the egg, in my opinion. Ooh, I haven't got so. a number for you, yeah, yeah. but it would have to be in the millions of dollars Absolutely. to be able to demerge because there are all those systems that are now well, together. millions of dollars to merge it. I can imagine it'd be millions <laughs> of dollars to demerge it. That's right. Yes. So yes. even though the government has said 
yes, you've got that option, you can demerge, and again, they've got some steps to go through, then I don't know that there's a genuine offer on the table because mm. I think it would be incredibly expensive for a community to do it. And then the issue would be, how do you justify to the community that all that money you're about to spend, mm. you could maybe spend that on potholes or mm. maybe you could spend that on something in your community mm. that would make a difference to the community. Is, is state government here asking councils to go to the community to discuss this? They're not really encouraging it. Mm. It's really on the back of the fact that there have been some. And I think one that comes to mind is Kudamundra Gundagai is one that certainly has progressed a fair way down the path and mm. saying we want to demerge. Mm. So the whole process, the whole reason for this seemed to be the fact that there were some councils out there who said, yes, 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 we want to demerge. And so there had to be some legislation around that and had to be a decision by the state mm. government to, to do it or not to do it. Okay. So I think in general, and there's probably a bit more to play out in this, in general it seems to be, Sure, that's okay, but we're not going to fund it. Mm. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that we start to get a movement together. It would be up to the community. The community mm. said, let's demerge to Wellington, let's go through and have so that conversation. So this would have to be something driven by the community as opposed by council itself? Well, in my opinion, it would be. I'm certainly not going to drive it from council. I have no intention of driving it from council. Mm. And no councillor that I know on, on Dubbo Regional Council at the moment mm. has said anything to me about let's try and get these two broken apart. Mm. So from my perspective, it's just we've got the cards, we've been yeah. dealt, let's move ahead. Well, it's interesting because like, September's coming up. There's The local election's going to be in regards to potentially uh, you could have a whole new council sort of set in place by September depending on how things roll. We don't know. Yeah. But this could potentially be one of those discussion points that could be raised as part of the uh, someone's platform to stand on. Absolutely. If someone wanted to stand on that platform, that would be an mm. option for them to stand on that. Mm. And then they'd have to get in and convince their councillors. So it can be driven by the council. Yeah. But in my opinion, because it's done and dusted, when I got elected on the council, it was already five years after the amalgamation. Mm. I certainly wasn't going there to try and drive that change and demerge. But again, mm. if the community said, if there was a large chunk of the community in Wellington and NWO said, let's demerge, then certainly that would be something that mm. I would listen to and councillors would listen to and see mm. what the process might be. Mm. And, and then maybe start to wrap some dollars around it yeah, to then go right. back to the community and say, figure. Yeah. You, you want to demerge, here's what it would cost us to demerge, and are you happy with that, or do you want potholes fixed? Yeah, that's right. Bring your bills day. So... Also, during the week, there was a couple in Dubbo and Wellington. So is that a day where if I'd have brought my electricity bill, which is just ridiculous right now, if I'd have brought that to you, Matt, were you going to pay it for me? Or was that, was that how this was going to work? I'd love or? to do that for you, Mark. Oh, geez, you're a nice bloke. I'll go take you up on that, let me tell you. After you see my bill, you may think differently. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do it for everyone. But, so this wasn't actually run by a council. This is right. run by a government department. But the main thing from this, and they did run a day in Wellington and the next day in Dubbo, mm. the main thing from this was just a number of providers, some government, some private organisations, that were helping people with the cost of living pressure. Okay. Now, it wasn't as if... That's a good idea. It is. It's an excellent yeah. idea. It wasn't as if you brought your bill and then someone said, that's it, oh, I'll take care of it for you. Here's, here's the cash, go and have a nice day. That's right. But it was really about that financial management. Yeah. And I think they did have some of the electricity providers, for example, they did have a little bit of flexibility to reduce to knock off some of those bills for people. Yep. If they could see that they're in a situation, they presented some of their finances mm -hmm. and they're really struggling, and that electricity company said, well, we're never going to get this money out of this person. Let's restructure it mm. for them, but let's give them a bit of a clean slate. I'm sure they had that ability to, to basically mm. remove some of those, but that wasn't the intent. The intent was, if you're struggling with cost of living pressure, bring your bills along, and I mean, just your finances in general, yep. and sit down and talk to someone. Now, again, 
government departments were there, there were banks that were there, there were electricity providers there, there were people who were giving advice, financial advice yeah. that were there, and it was really a matter of but going along. Was it along. well supported? Was there a lot of people going along? There, there, it was a lot of, well supported by the actual different organisations there. Yeah. I only spent about an hour there just talking to some of the providers there and you know, keeping a bit of an eye out there, but there was a fairly constant flow that went through. Mm. I can't tell you a number of how many people went through on the day, mm. but there was a fairly constant flow. And... Some of the people there said, well, I was a bit embarrassed to come along because I didn't want someone seeing me mm, walking in I can see and that. thinking that I was struggling. And I, and I fully understand that. But yeah. when some people came in and had a bit of a talk, they then said, oh, I'm going to go now. And I've, I've got a mate I'm going to ring and I'm going to mm. tell them to come in as yeah, well yeah. because, yeah. gee, that was great. So yeah. it was as much about advice yep. and even just real electricity bill. Take that for an example. Yeah. Come in, talk to one of the energy providers there, and they might look at your bill and they say, oh, look, you're on the wrong plan. Yeah. You've got yourself structured for a plan that does this and that. Yep. You need a bit on this plan over here, and on that plan, you'll find that your bill will go down because that's yeah. more structured to the way that you use electricity. I, I can see the advantage of that. Like I, I, I'm sorry that I missed it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few bills I could have probably brought in there to sort of say, hey, listen, am I really – is that really going to be my bill now? I'm going to have to keep paying this, or is it a better way of saving a few bucks here? Yeah, and some of the conversations that I talked to with the bank, they said some of the people that spoke to them, it really was mm. they might have had a couple of different loans or maybe some credit cards – and so they were paying more than they needed to because they had multiple facilities there. Mm. So just talking to them about wrapping them up into one loan facility. So get rid of that credit card mm. and take that car loan and that car loan and, do, and basically just have one loan. We can have a lower interest rate on that. There's one payment. Mm. So you're not getting these multiple payments all the time. So it's those sorts of things and that advice. Mm. What was interesting was there was a little bit of a difference talking to the organisers between Dubbo and Wellington and the people that were coming along, they actually felt that the economy or the, the cost of living pressure in Wellington was biting a little bit more than mm. it was in Dubbo, just based on the what conversations yeah. and the people that were coming along to both of those. And that probably, without having any data to back it up, that probably feels about right. Mm. And one of the things, one of the reasons we focus very much on Wellington around the renewable energy zone is because I think the economy in Wellington obviously can need a bit of a, yeah, a boost and yeah. we can possibly do it with the rest. For that, yeah. yeah, it is. So it's a it's a good day organised and again, mm. there'll be more in the future, I'm sure. I was going to ask you the question, is this going to come back again next year or? I don't know how often they do it, but I, I'm sure it will come back again mm. and I'm sure as the cost of living pressure bites and as interest rates obviously bite on people as well, mm. then all of this can have an impact. So I'm sure more of these advice days, and I'd yeah. encourage people, don't, don't feel embarrassed about going along because oh, it can That's absolutely right. be about yeah. just getting some advice, talking to someone about the way they're doing things. And if you can restructure things and it puts a few more dollars in your pocket, that sounds like a good idea. Well, financial literacy for a lot of us is is something we don't get taught. You know, you, we expect to sort of learn this stuff as we go along. And if you you might have a good mum or dad that's been able to teach you a few things, uh, you know, as you're moving into the adulthood world. And even as adults, we quite often will struggle at times with our financial literacy and how this sort of stuff works. So any type of advice like this, yeah, absolutely embrace it, guys. Don't be embarrassed by it. Get out there and enjoy it. We talked a bit uh, earlier about um, Sydney University, Charles Sturt University as well. That's the other uh, wonderful university we have here in town. Um, now, you had a meeting during the week uh, with Charles Sturt. How's, how's Charles Sturt going? Is it um, the, the numbers of the kids? We're getting good numbers of kids rolling up. And, and what type of courses are they currently offering? So the numbers had dropped off, but certainly they're on the way back. And that's, that's fantastic. Good. I remember probably very early in my time as mayor, I don't know if it was the very first year, but but certainly very early in my time as mayor, 
I went along to do an O-Week talk to Chelsea University because yep. you had all the kids coming in for O-Week. And I remember Bev Moriarty was the head of campus. I think she would have been there at the time. And mm. I remember seeing there on the stage and I'm looking out and I had some ideas in my head where I was going to talk to the students about, thinking they're a bunch of 18-year-olds about to explore the university career. And I remember saying to Bev quietly on the stage, getting ready to stand up and talk to these students, I said, Bev, there's a lot of the parents that are there with them, a lot of mums and dads that have come along. I'm impressed how many mums and dads have come along. And Bev said, no, no, Matt, they're the students. They're the students. And it, it yeah, struck yeah. me suddenly that Charles Sturt seemed to have this flavour of coming back and mm. either continuing your education or restarting your education. Yeah. So a lot of people yeah. are coming in as mature age students. And so very quickly I'm rethinking what I'm talking about. I'm not talking to mm. 18-year-olds now. I'm talking to, to 30-year-olds. I better yeah. talk about something a little bit different. Yes. But that was still great. There would be, back in those days, maybe 120, 130 students mm. that I'd speak to with O-Week. Obviously, we fast forward a few years. I was out of council mm. for a couple of years. And of course, we had COVID come along and knock things around a little bit. Mm. What you're finding now with Charles Street University, obviously with COVID, lots of people were online and doing their online education. Yep. They're now encouraging people to come back in the physical sense and they're, they're going well. So I think from last year to this year, they'll probably triple the numbers that they'll have there on campus. Oh, that's fantastic. Still not back yeah. to the same as some of those previous days, but they're getting yeah. back up there. So they have nursing? Nursing yeah. is really the focus now and, and that's right. one of the probably things that's been knocked around a little bit yeah. as the years have gone by. They used to have, as you remember, they used to have some Teaching. good good teaching there. Mm. They used to have teaching and nursing. There was even a little bit of, I think, IT and engineering. Mm. I'm not sure of engineering, but there was definitely IT. I know we, mm. uh, I saw some IT students there one time. That's a, a bit of a secret. You can still do it all through Charles Street University, mm. but you might be doing it essentially at another campus mm. remotely. So getting more courses back there, I think, is an important part of it. Yep. And also just getting them engaged in the community. So I make the same offer to CSU students that I'll provide uniform, and I've done that in the past, to get involved in sporting events. And this year I'm going back to talk to them at O-Week again. Oh, good. So yeah. we've got some of the... So it's that late February sort of thing, is it? Is that I, I don't actually or? know. I have to look at my calendar and see. <laughs> I, I just know I'm <laughs> going right. back there. But getting back and involved in that again and really making sure they're welcome yep. in the Dubbo environment. And some of them are living here already, mm. so that's one part of it. But just getting them involved in that university experience. But it's still a great asset we've got there. And building that back up again, I yeah. think that's a really important part of it. Yeah. All the same things, all the same reasons I'd love to see people know about Sydney University. Mm. I want to see them know about mm. Charles Street University as well. And well, they do actually have a bit of a sharing arrangement. So, for example, the library there, which right. is in Charles Street, when you walk into that main building there, that lovely library area there, that very quiet, mm. very nice area there, the students at the School of Rural Health, for example – they can use their swipe card and get into CSU main building and come ah, and use the library okay. there. So yep. they do have some synergies between the yep. two of them and, and share some of those well, resources. It's a strong health focus we seem to be operating with. Yeah, We've got the doctors there with uh, Sydney Uni. You've got the nursing coming through with the CSU. You've got the you know, the Department of Rural Health sort of group, kids coming through there. So dentistry, don't forget dentistry. So dentistry, got, of course. School yes. of Dentistry up there. So uh, we're becoming quite a little medical fraternity in its own right in the educational base, aren't we? And that's obviously a good thing because if, they're educated regionally. We've got a much better yeah, chance of keeping those absolutely. students regionally. I would still love to see teaching back there at Charles Sturt, but again, yeah. it's a complicated mm. economy in terms of the university economy, how it, that all fits together. It feeds through. You know, when we had the nursing, or we have the teaching here, should I say, that fed through the schools. We had plenty of casual teachers. We had uh, you know, parents, you talk about the older ones, sort of coming in and taking yep. on the teaching as their option. That was being fed back into the primary schools in particular. I think it was a general primary focus. Yep. We also got them through the high school. As soon as they closed up, boy, oh boy, we struck some problems here. So I'd imagine if we can keep the nursing going here and the doctors here, it's certainly going to benefit the medical side. And I'd oh, love, yeah. like you, bring
bring the educating back in, the educators back in, and that can help certainly the schooling sector as well. Yeah, definitely right. Well, uh, Saturday, the National Gallery of Australia, uh, the touring exhibition opened up here with the 4th Indigenous Art Triennial, the once every three years, mm. the uh, the Indigenous Art Triennial. So you went along to the opening of this there, Matt. Um, this is pretty cool. The National Gallery of Australia, a touring exhibition. I think any exhibition that comes here to us is always worthwhile seeing, particularly if it's come from the, the National Gallery. This is one thing that the National Gallery does. They go around every three years and they look for Aboriginal artworks from across the nation and they mm. basically pick those out, they pay those artists, they typically will, not always, but they'll typically buy them and have them they're owned by the National Gallery. They might do other things with them as well. Mm. But a really important process, I think, to capture some of that Aboriginal art. Now, we here in Dubbo are very fortunate because in New South Wales for this latest exhibition, which is called Ceremony, right. we are the only location in this state that you'll be able to see this is exhibition. That right? Yeah. Wow, okay. And it's a big exhibition. It's taken over the whole space. You'll remember mm. that something like the Archibald, for example, we had probably mm. two-thirds of the space taken yes. up by the Archibald and there were still other exhibitions there at the same time. Yep. Well, this exhibition takes over the entire space. Really? Yeah, wow. so it's a big exhibition. How long is it here for? Three months. Oh, so wow. that's the great okay, part. Okay, so you've got plenty of time to see it. Absolutely right. So there is enough time to see it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully in that three months, hopefully people are around. Is it free to get in? Or free is it, to get in. So it's not like the Archibald, you have to sort of pay a couple of bucks. No, this no. is a free one. And we yeah. have spent a long time developing this relationship with the National Gallery of Australia. Mm. so that we do get access to some of these exhibitions, some of these tours. But it's a it's a really significant thing in terms of what we've got there. And again, the fact mm. that it's only one in New South Wales is great. Now, the Indigenous Art Triennial started in 2007 as the first one. Right. And so you would think it would be every three years, so we'd be up to maybe number seven now. Mm. Mm. But there's been a few gaps for a variety of reasons over that time frame. So it's the fifth triennial. Right. And we've seen four of those here in Dubbo. So it's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Is is this the only time, though, that it's only been just here or has it been touring around in the past? It it certainly does tour around and this will be seen in other parts of Australia, Mm. but this is the only time in New South Wales. Now, previous ones, I don't know whether we were the only one in the state. But one thing that was interesting, I did the opening, I was at the opening ceremony and and speaking at the opening ceremony on the Saturday, Saturday the 10th of February, which just happened to be the 17th anniversary of the opening of the Western Plains Cultural Centre. Oh, Center. there you go. And I, yeah, I had yeah. a feeling, because I remember Professor Murray Bashir yes. was the governor of New South Wales at the time, yes, yes. and I remember it being very hot when the opening was on. Right. And, and I, I knew... She was there, was she, at the time? Well, she opened, opened it. She officially opened oh, it right, for okay. us. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. And I remember it was 2007 when we opened that, mm. and I thought, I've just got to check that date out. And, of course, mm. I went and found the plaque, and I've forgotten about this part, but... Alan Smith was the mayor of the time, and I was deputy mayor at the time, yep, yep. and uh, so I've forgotten I was deputy mayor, but I looked at the date and went, 10th of February, oh, that's the that's day great. we're doing the opening <laughs> of, of this particular exhibition. Yes. But I, I talked about that and mentioned the fact that there was, when I was first elected to council in 2004, mm. there were two big cultural projects that were on the horizon. One was the Western Plains Cultural Centre, mm. the other one, of course, was the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre. There you go. And that when you look at the Western Plains Cultural Centre and some of the exhibitions, including mm. the Indigenous Art Triennial, mm. when you look at some of those, there is no way. And, and the person that was there from the National Gallery mm. said exactly this, that they don't take this just anywhere. It's got to mm. be somewhere that can do justice mm. to what's there. And certainly he said Dubbo can do mm. that and why they've been happy to bring other exhibitions here mm. in Dubbo. So 17th anniversary... Now, what I also discovered when I was talking about that on Saturday afternoon was three of the people in the audience 
were the first exhibitors. Oh, really? Back 17 years ago. What, local residents, were they? Or? No, so there's Vicky and Peter Ayland. Oh, yes, yeah, well, they're very well known in the art right. circles here in Dubbo. And yeah. Noni, I think at the time, Noni was based in Canamble. Right. But right. I consider her a Dubbo local. I'm not sure if she's yep. technically a Dubbo local now, but I consider yep. her a Dubbo local. But I actually, and I apologise to them, I wasn't aware they were in the audience yeah. when I was talking about the fact that it was the 17th anniversary on the day. Yeah. But, yeah, they mentioned the fact that they had been exhibiting there as part of the original exhibitors. There were a number of yep. exhibitors initially there, but a nice bit of history for them That's to lovely. be in the audience there Are there on any, that day. Uh, uh, in the current exhibit, have we got any local uh, artists in that? Well, I don't think we've got any Dubbo artists, but right. the National Gallery uh, employee that was there said that there, in terms of the overall Indigenous art training this year, yep. there were more Rajri artists than ever before. Oh, wow. So there okay. were certainly some Rajri artists yep. there. Amongst our region, yeah, yeah. And one of the artists that was there right. is someone that's done international artworks, and he rattled off a couple of names, like, for example, Beyonce has got an artwork from the same artist hanging in her place. Wow. Oh, so, good enough for Beyonce, it's good enough for me. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. So you don't have to put a ring on it, you can put an artwork on it. <laughs> You've been waiting for that line, haven't you? <laughs> Probably the only song I know of Beyonce. So, <laughs> so it's uh, it's quite a, a good exhi- exhibition, Brilliant. but again, yeah. the significance of that I think is important, and also the significance of having that cultural centre there mm. to add to our cultural yeah. landscape in Dubbo. Absolutely. Matt... Um Homeless River Camp, they're calling this, down there behind Regan Park. Uh, have we got a situation right now in, in Dubbo where um, we've got a bit of a homeless community starting to to gather down there behind Regan Park with some tents and things like that? And is this starting to cause a bit of a problem? Well, I, I think it's probably becoming a little bit of a problem now. Mm. People that go along – so this is in the area – if you go down to the bottom of Tamworth Street, yep. if you're driving straight ahead towards the river, yep. then you could go right along Trekkerali, which yep. takes you back towards Sandy Beach area, yep. or left, which takes you along towards the Regan Park area. Yep, up if, towards the Weir and things correct, like that. Correct, yep. yeah. So if you go down that area there, and it's mm. a fair way back from the path, but I ride my push bike along there most mornings, mm. and it's set a fair way back, but there's a couple of tents there, and there's obviously a few people that are living there. Mm. One of the problems that we have is that the police no longer have move on powers. Mm. So they can't say to someone, just move on because we don't like the look of you there. Is this but, council land though? We, 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 can, you, can you actually camp down there anyway? Is that well, no, you're not meant to camp down there, but okay. I don't know in the past there's been any specific signs to say no camping, but that's something we're looking at addressing. Okay. But uh, essentially, uh, they set up there and these are obviously people without a home, so you move them on. Where do you move them on mm. to? Well, you can't move them on, but if you did, well, they'd only go and move on to somewhere else. So it's a tricky situation, but it starts to get to be a bit of a problem when you see some of the behaviour that might involve some drug use. Maybe they leave some needles around. Is that happening down here yeah, right now? Yeah, it's just starting to happen now. So whereas okay. in the past it might have been there's some people that don't have a home that are a bit down on their luck, that are living there, pretty harmless, not really annoying or, or doing it to anyone, but mm. now it's starting to become a bit of an issue. Mm. We don't have the power to just go and say, move on by ourselves. And this is one of those situations where you obviously want to work with other areas. So we're having a meeting this week, which is with the Department of Communities and Justice, DCJ, mm. and council staff and the New South Wales Police around support services. So that's mm. a non-government agency or non-government organisation. So essentially, we want to have a bit of discussion to see 
what we can do. Mm. And again, if they're committing a crime, breaking the law, that's when the police can come along. So if there's evidence there that they are taking illegal drugs, then certainly the police can do something about that. We know from the sentencing process they probably wouldn't spend any mm. time anywhere. They'd probably get a slap on the wrist and on they go again. Mm. But we, I suppose we're conscious of this because it is such a beautiful area mm. and people do go out and they walk or they run or they ride early in the morning. And I suppose I'm thinking here of maybe females that are out mm. walking by themselves, oh, young females that are yeah, out yeah. going for a run or a walk. They yep. might feel threatened by some of these people there. Yep. Uh, I don't. Has there been any instance of that? Oh, look, I think there have been a couple of reports of people feeling a bit threatened. Okay. But it might be feeling threatened just because Simply someone because might... because they saw these people there, maybe. Correct, yeah. yeah. So there's been no incidents per se, but I think there is a, a bit of that sort of feel that there might be some threatening behaviour. Mm. There's there's not a lot we can do about it directly except work with some of these other agencies mm. and encourage some things to happen. But as more and more people use that, it's nice warm months at the moment and mm. warm in the morning, people are using it. So it's something we've got to look at, something we've got to try and address, but there's not an easy answer to this and not an easy thing that we can do. So, so there's a meeting this week about that, is yeah, there? Yeah, correct, okay. that's right. So we've got a few of those groups together to say, okay, help us out here, what mm. can we do? Yeah. And that's when you might work with some of those agencies, for example, when you, when you talk about around our support services, they might go along and have conversations to say, do you need somewhere to live? Is there somewhere we can find mm. some temporary accommodation? What's your situation? So just along those lines, rather than come in heavy-handed yeah. and say, right, that's it, yeah. we're, we're going to take you away somewhere and, and lock you up for a night, and then they just come back and do the yeah. same thing again. That's right. So we're aware of it, and people have certainly mentioned to me, I'm aware of it. Again, I see it when I'm out riding the bike. And, and so we're aware of it. What we can do about it, we're just seeing what action is we can take. Is this a growing problem? We've got... Is it our homeless community, is it a growing issue here in Dubbo or is this a bit isolated right now? What's are, you, are we seeing more homeless people? Well, I have been out for a walk, early morning walk, with the Department of Communities and Justice to see the number of homeless people we have around. Mm. It's certainly, th- there weren't huge numbers on that particular morning we went around and we do see some people sleeping in cars, we do see some people down at Sandy Beach sleeping in their car, for example, mm. but I don't know that it's been growing. It's a problem, there are people that don't have a home, mm. but how many people, or is it growing? Is that a major problem? I'm not sure that it's growing. But there's also people, when we speak to some of these government agencies and NGOs, I think we find that the homeless problem is also sleeping on someone's couch. Yeah. So I don't have yeah. a home to go to, but I've got a friend that's good enough to let me sleep on their couch. Mm. So I'm still homeless, but I've got a roof over my head. Yeah. And I think that's probably a bigger problem than people that are sleeping down on the mm. river. Mm. Okay. And I think the other thing about that, to finish up, is it's also good too that you're having the meeting during the week, though, to actually look at ways you can actually address this as an issue. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, mate, um, looking through here, uh, the the grant applications uh, for 2024, the, the, the first round of, uh, we talked about this last week in regards to the application grants for the council money. We'll talk about community groups and how they can actually get some money together. Now, it looks as though there was a, a meeting held to, or not so much a meeting, a, an opportunity here for people to get together who want to apply for the grants um, to get some education on this. Is That's what happened during the week? Is that right? Yeah. So we've got the two grants we've talked about. Remember, they yeah. close on the 29th of February. So it's Coming up, what, 29th of every, every year, is that right? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Once every four years, you get it? So the, the two grants that are open at the moment, the, we've got the, the council money, which is open to not-for-profits, yeah. community organisations across the whole LGA, and we've got $82,000 and a bit in that one, so roughly $82,000. Yeah. And we've also got the Bedangra 
Community Benefits Fund. It's just for Wellington uh, residents, though, isn't it? Correct. That's the old sort of Wellington LGA, if you like. There are restrictions on where that goes. $73,000 in that Mm. one. Now, we were undersubscribed the last time those two grants came up, which okay. I hate the fact that we had money yeah. to give away and we didn't give it away. Thanks for enough to give away, give away money. I find <laughs> that very hard to believe, but apparently the case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we did actually hold a workshop. So we got Natalie Bramble from iClick to Learn and she came in and ran that workshop. We okay. obviously paid her to come yep. in and, and do that. Is and she local or is she? Yeah, yeah, Natalie Bramble. So she's, well, I've known her for a long Name time. Name rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so uh, definitely a local yep. and and does a great job with this sort of thing. So I actually ducked in for five minutes. I happened to be at another function at the Cultural Centre when this was being held, this grants workshop, and there were about 40 community members in there and, and I say so I spent five minutes there and a quick chat to them and said, mm. make sure you get your applications in. We want to give away all this money. Yeah, yeah. But that was a two-and-a-half-hour session just going through helping people out and as a grants workshop, it was obviously specific to our grants, but mm. hopefully enough information for people if they see grants for other things as well, then the ability to go Well, we talked about earlier, the potential for more coming up, isn't there? And serious money Well, that's as well. exactly right. Not just those ones who are that's often right. grants, but just learning how to do it. Yeah. For someone like Natalie, who's got a head in that space all the time, just getting some tips, getting some ideas on how you might do it, all very important. So yeah. I don't know if we've got another workshop coming up anytime in the near future, but keep an eye out for that. But even just talking to some of those community members that were at mm. that grant workshop, I'm sure they'd be happy to share some of those ideas. Yeah. So 29th February... Get those grants applications in. Absolutely. Read the criteria. Make sure you're applicable, but yeah. we want to see that money given out. The more the merrier. Now, there was the terrible news during the week, of course, what happened, or what's about to happen over there in China with the uh, the Australian resident who they have sentenced to death over there. Now, I suppose when we sort of watch this sort of stuff, it, it's very easy to sit back and go, well... It's terrible, but it's it's not really going to be my issue here on a local resonance level here in Dubbo. I'm reading here potentially with our exchange to China, with our Wuzhang exchange, this could potentially be a bit of an issue because things have suddenly turned a bit frosty again with China. Is the Wuzhang exchange going to go ahead this year? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so there you go. So, so there is potential here, the fact that what's happened has actually had direct impact potentially on us here in Dubbo. Correct. So we've got two sister cities that we've been very active with. We've got mm. Minakamo in Japan and we've got Wuzhang in China. Mm. And I've certainly been to visit both those locations in the past. We've had official delegations that have gone over from Dubbo to both of those two cities. Mm. And we've also had people come in the other direction. We also have student exchanges that go in both directions. So that's been fantastic. Mm. But again, a little pandemic came along. Mm. And so we had to stop those exchanges, those student exchanges. So basically from 2020 on, we couldn't do them. But last year, we got to the stage where we could now run those again. Mm. Now, what's interesting is that the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, so DFAT, said that this is starting from last year, that you needed to have, when a school was involved, you needed to have an MOU, a Memorandum Mm -hmm. of Understanding, between the two cities or maybe the schools involved in those cities. And DFAT... Did they have to sign off on that? They have to sign off on that. Now, we had uh, progressed fairly well in terms of our Minicamo exchange that they gave us a dispensation for last year to do it without that MOU, but we're working on that MOU. And, of course, Wuzheng, we'd like to get the Wuzheng exchange happening again and for a number of different reasons we couldn't Mm. get that happening last year but again our intention absolutely was to Mm. start it going again past the pandemic past some of the other issues let's get it happening again Mm. but we have some minor concerns but we haven't got any official back from DFAT yet Mm. that 
they might say, DFAT might say, that Australian students travelling to China might be seen as unsafe due to that diplomatic relationship mm. that you're talking about, a bit of a mm. frostiness there. Mm. Now, we don't know that for certain. We're working on Are you MOU. getting a bit of a feeling this could be the case? Well, is that sort of through got the correspondence? Nothing official back yet, but just okay. the fact that they've said we've got to have this MOU. Now, they've said mm. for all countries, so it's not as if they're targeting China, mm. but I just wonder where that will go. And that would be disappointing because I've enjoyed those exchanges. I've been enjoyed yeah, being over yeah. there. I've enjoyed hearing great from students. Exchanges, aren't they? That's yeah, right. I think absolutely right. And you do hear great feedback. It was only just during the week that I happened to be in a business and a, a person came over to me and he, he called me Mr. Dickerson. So I felt, I felt very oh, old then. Absolutely. <laughs> so well, I, miss, I probably okay. need to up my ante as well. <laughs> <laughs> and he told me about the fact that he'd been on a previous Minakamo exchange and mm. what he'd learned out of that. And he's still communicating with people in Minakamo. And just he just felt like in that two week or 10 day time frame, he had growing up a couple of years. He mm-hmm. just felt he matured. And oh, wow. Yeah, so it was really good feedback. And we hear that from the students generally yep. when they come back anyway. But again, I don't know what will happen with that and mm. how long that might take to get an answer and mm-hmm. how long that might be in place for. So we're working on those MOUs now mm. and okay. we'll see what happens. So stay tuned for yeah, that Yeah, watch this space. Yeah, mm. yeah, I know. It's interesting. Okay. Now, coming up uh, on the 19th of February, there's a, a meeting that's going to be held in Molong, of all places, uh, to discuss the Kerr's Creek wind farm. Molong. Why are we talking about Molong here today in regards? Because isn't Molong part of the Kabon Shire? So it's what? not part of Dubbo Regional Council, no. spot on. It's part of Kabon. So how does this involve you? Well, I don't think it does, but... Many people would like it too. Okay. Right. Is, is, is there concern about the fact that what's happening there? Because uh, this, this wind farm we're talking about here is in our region, but Kabon wants to have a discussion about it as well. So we had the Eucarina meeting, or RES had yes. the meeting in Eucarina. Yep. About which two we weeks ago, so, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yep. And we went along and we heard from the group there and we heard different points of view. And some of the points of view were unrelated to the wind farm, they were related to the fact that council promised years ago supposedly to put a bore in and we hadn't mm. done that. So there were some council issues. That was fine. They could get them off their chest and we could investigate those further. Mm. But in relation to the wind farm specifically, there were concerns that were being raised by some people in the audience that lived in Cabon Council. Mm. And uh, the point... Because like, Kerr's Creek sort of sits pretty close to the border, does it? It does, yeah. And these there are 63 turbines in this particular wind farm, the Kerr's Creek wind farm. Right. They're all in... Dubbo Regional Council, like mm. government area. But if you lived in Cabon, near the border, you might be able to see some of these turbines. Mm. The issue is that the people that will get paid the money are on farms that are in Dubbo Regional Council, LGA. Yeah. Yeah. And when we negotiate a VPA, we, as the council involved, will be negotiating a VPA with RES, trying to get as much money as we can. Mm. But as the Dubbo Regional Council mayor, there'll be one LGA will be spending that money mm. in, or the, the council will, not me personally, mm. it'll be in the Dubbo Regional Council LGA mm. in the vicinity of Kerr's Creek, Eucarina, that area. Yep. But certainly there'll be no intention for me to spend any of that money in Cabon Council. No. So I've had some discussions with some various people from Have you, have you spoken to the Cabon Mayor about this? I have actually. I've, I've yeah. spoken to a number of people about this. Right. And one of the things that happened at the meeting was some people said, why aren't Cabon Council here? And, and I did make the comment at the time. I said, well, it's an organized, a many organized by RES. Mm. It's in Dubbo Regional Council. There's no great conspiracy here. Mm. I wouldn't expect 
Kevin Beatty, the Caban mayor, to invite me to a meeting that was happening in Caban, and I don't think he expects to be invited to this mm. meeting. But there was a lot of discussion, and there's been a few different points of view put forward by some residents around there. In fact, interesting enough, I've had a few people who are very much in favour of these projects going ahead mm. who have spoken to me. They didn't like to speak at the meeting and didn't like to speak publicly because mm. sometimes people target them a little bit, but certainly some people are very much in favour of it. But I've had some communication from Andrew G, the federal member. I get on yep. well with Andrew G, yep. but some communication from Andrew G on behalf of the residents. So I've, I've You've answered. spoken to Phil Donato as well? Well, <laughs> I've spoken to You've spoken to everybody, have you? <laughs> right, yeah, okay. So yeah. I've spoken to Andrew G just via, he sent a formal letter, I've emailed and haven't talked to, to, to Andrew on the phone, mm. but I have had a chat to Phil Donato and I just wanted to see where his head was at because the state government, it involves here, obviously, yep. and I've spoken to Dougal Saunders, obviously, as mm. the local member for Dubbo there, and I've spoken to Kevin Beatty and had a good chat to him about this as well. Yep. He's the, the Caban mayor, isn't he? He's the Caban yeah. council mayor, correct. Yeah. And and, I, and look, I see Kevin at various functions and events, so I, I have no issues with, with Kevin. I think he mm. does a great job over in Caban, actually. Mm. And there's a few things involving this. Obviously, residents around the area, some people don't want to see it go ahead, so that's one point of view. Other people say, well, we want some money spent in Caban. If it's going to go ahead, we want some money spent in Caban. But it's not going into Caban. It's not going into Caban, that's right. Now, what we have done, and so I've communicated with all these different people, with Phil and Dool and Kevin, and, and said our position is, again, number one, we've mentioned before, council is not the consent authority. Mm. So convincing council this being good, bad or indifferent, it's irrelevant. Don't waste your time. And mm. I've said this to some of the residents, you can tell me all the great points or the terrible points as much as you like, but I don't make a decision. Council does not make a decision mm. on this. Mm. So it, it's almost wasting your time. Talk to the state government if you've got some issues with it. And the second part is, in terms of a voluntary planning agreement, we'll be negotiating with RES about it. Yeah. But what I have done, in the email I sent back to Andrew G, for example, I included Phil Donato and Dougal Saunders and the group organising this and Kevin Beatty and said, here is our framework, our 1.5% framework we've talked about before, that we try and get various proponents to come to the party with. Mm. And one of the reasons I want to share it with Kevin is that I'd encourage Caban Council to have the same conversation with RES. They may get nowhere, mm. but have the conversation so that you can see if there's any money that RES would be prepared to pay for Caban. But from my perspective, any money we get, yeah. I want to spend that in WA Regional Council area. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm still struggling a bit here, Matt, because I'm struggling from the point of view of the fact saying, if I'm a Caban resident and I have no wind farms or uh, solar farms coming into my area, but I'm looking over the hills and I'm seeing the wind farms and the the solar farms across the hill from me maybe, because it's reasonably close apparently where this Curse Creek wind farm is going to be at, am I just simply objecting because I don't like the look of it? Or because what am I objecting about? Because it's it's got nothing to do with me. Well... I can't answer that question for you. You have to ask the right. residents here. Yeah, well, maybe I need to go to the meeting to find out. But, That's right. But I'm, I'm still wondering, why would you need to go? To, why would they want you at the meeting? Yeah, and I think this is the, the interesting issue. So, And I've actually got a group coming over to meet with me. And again, I've said, look, I'm happy to meet. I'll meet with anyone. Yeah. Happy to meet with you. But I, I don't know that I'm going to be much joy for you because I, I'm not the Caban mayor. And I feel actually would be a bit rude for me to go into Caban, and I've said this to Kevin, Yeah, I feel it would be a bit rude for, for me to go into his area. He's the duly elected representative yeah, yeah. for the people of Caban, and in fact, you've got councillors there as well. Yeah. So who am I to think yeah. that I can come along well, and be like him coming into Wellington maybe and, and having a meeting conducted by Wellington residents, just for argument's sake, yeah. and, and, and asking him to do something about your area. Yeah, that's right. Like, it doesn't work like that. So I would feel a bit rude going in there, so I've expressed that to the residents, but I, I can't get away from the fact that 
council is not the consent authority. Mm. If you've got an issue with these, if you've got an issue with the funding or you've got an issue with the existing or whatever yeah, you've got yeah. an issue, whether it's the look or the way the, you want, yeah, exactly right. You want to like the way it looks or whatever. Well, you can't do anything is, about that. I can't do anything about that. You've got Dougal Saunders for Double Regional Council and you've got Phil Donato that is in he's the representative for Orange, but obviously yeah. covers Gabon there. Yeah. They would be the two representatives that I would certainly encourage those people to speak with and find mm. if they can get some sort of outcome that suits what they're trying to do. Mm. And and again, I, I don't know. I'm not one of the residents, but I don't know whether it's more we want some money for Gabon or whether we just don't want them to go ahead at all. Mm. So I, I don't know which way is clear out of those. Mm. And at the meeting, we heard certainly a range of things, but a lot of those things could be addressed fairly easily. So some people said, for example, why are we only hearing about this for the first time? Well, there's always going to be a first meeting, and it's years away from this. It's 2027 is the mm. estimation of if this goes ahead, when construction would start. Mm. So we're years away from that. So there had to be a first meeting. But if that's your complaint, about this, this is only the first meeting. Okay, tick, we've had the first meeting now, so there you go, that complaint goes away. So when you start to break down the issues that people might have, let's find out what the real mm. issues are mm. rather than a lot of other issues that might be thrown around. Yeah. So it's an interesting process, and I find the wind farm, solar farm, all the renewables arguments and discussions sometimes get muddied up for a whole mm. range of different reasons, mm. but let's just cut down to the facts. And again, the facts, the, the number one fact is, we aren't the consent authority. Yeah. So tell me all you like about it. But also, some people out there aren't happy about interest rates. Their bank is charging them too much money. So complain to me about that as well. Mm. Well, mm. I can't... You can empathise with them. That's right. I can, can empathise. You can't do anything about it. But I can't fix mm. the interest rates. There's a whole range of things that are outside mm. local government's control. Mm. And it's not me palming it off. Mm. It's me being pragmatic. Well, you know what you can do? It's like that situation is you can often be a bit of advice as to where you can go to and who you can speak to. Yeah, that's that's and to some extent that's exactly that's what it. you've doing, got a state it? representative or a federal representative. Yeah, we've got three levels of government in this nation. Yeah, it would be incredibly arrogant of me to think that I can just pick up the phone and talk to Albo or Minzy mm. and say, "Look, just fix this up for those residents that have got a bit of an issue out here." There It'd be are nice processes. If it could, but I don't <laughs> think you can. Well, <laughs> it probably wouldn't be nice if I could because there's processes you can mm. go through. And if all it took was a phone call from me to fix some little mm. issue out here, they probably then call that corruption anyway. It probably would. Yeah, that's right. I don't <laughs> know. It'd be great. That's right. So there is the meeting. We we will have discussions with all the different levels. In fact, in the letter that I sent back to Andrew G, I said the best thing the federal and state governments could do mm. would be to have a compulsory amount for a planning agreement with each local council that when a proponent put an application in for a renewable project, they knew there was going to be an amount because I still find it ludicrous mm. that we as council are going to have to have 37 different discussions mm. with the 37 different projects right. yeah, to yeah, try and yeah. get the 1.5% yeah. and there's no obligation for them to give 1.5%. Yep. That to me That's is where the clarity where, needs to come in on all that's this. That's right. Yeah. And if there was yeah. clarity, and then if there was a radius around that, so for example, when we're doing our planning agreements, we're putting mm. in there some sort of radius, and maybe it's a 20 kilometre radius, maybe mm. it's a bit more, a bit less, but depending on the project, radius where that will be the main impact of that money being mm. spent. So all these different things you could mm. say would make sense, but we don't control any of that. Even yeah. there might be a great argument from Cabon Council to say, well, they're having the, the visual impact, if you like, from these wind farms. The only reason it's not going into Cabon is because there happens to be a boundary there. Mm. Well, that's silly. So, again, this is where the state or the federal government could put some overarching policies in place and say, these are the rules. All you proponents out there, these mm. are the rules. Mm. I, I just don't love the fact that we've got to try and have these negotiations. Yep. And we've got 
very little power in those negotiations because A, we're not the consent authority, and B, yeah. they don't have to give us the money. Mm. So it's very now, it interesting. It does feel as though that you become the bit of the whipping boy in this situation whereby it comes back to you because you become the, the public face almost. It's not you personally, although a lot of cases it can be. <laughs> um, but in that situation, I think, as you say, clarity with all of this is, is such an important part uh, because ignorance without the clarity, you know, is, is what tends to happen. Yeah. Um, and that lack of education, what, what actually we're trying to accept and trying to see here coming forward with this. Yeah, absolutely spot on. All right, mate. We've had some deep and meaningful discussions here today, so it's time now to light things up a little bit of the limerick of the week. Am I meant to lighten things up with the limerick? I was, well, I was hoping you with, will. With my yeah, limerick? Right. We, we, I, I thought this was the most serious part of the program. <laughs> I think you've got a little bit of pickleball, whatever we call it there for us today. What's our main focus today? Well, I thought the students. I thought the fact oh, that we've God, got these medical students coming yes. through is really important for the amenity mm-hmm. of living in this region. So it's all about the students this week. Good Here we go. Well chosen. In Dubbo, where the plains are so vast, medical students are learning quite fast. In clinics and wards, they hone their records, ensuring regional healthcare will last. It's almost like a pitch there from Dorothy McKellar or something from that vast land of country of ours. Well, well done, mate. All right, folks, that wraps up again for another episode of Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, everyone, take care. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.